As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have need, hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature and manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have need <coughs> provided, great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings of mine within thousand beside. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have need in thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. All right. Hey, do you want this half-eaten mint left up here? No, man, it's wet. No, no. But it's going to be stuck if be we stuck leave it there. Well, if you have your Bibles, please open up to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. I want to ask you a question as you're turning there. Does anybody want you dead? Possibly. Oh, we got one. Possibly. The prison chaplain, by the way. Do what? There's a few. The student, the teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Serious question, though. 
I mean, not, I mean, I'm being a little funny, but something to think about. Does anybody want you dead? Many of us remember in the mid 80s, late, I think it was 1987 or so, watching the Iron, uh, Iron Contra scandal hearings on television. Remember that? The, uh, the U.S. had sold uh, military weapons to Iran in uh, order to get back hostages from Iran and then took that money and gave it to the Nicaragua Contra rebels or something. I, I'm remembering bits and pieces. But anyway, we remember the hearings. That's what we really remember. We remember uh, the buck will not pass, right? That guy. Uh, names like Poindexter. Remember Ronald Reagan? I do not recall. That's the best I can do. That's the best uh, Reagan impression I can do, uh, do. How about Oliver North? Yeah. Perhaps uh, even though he was found guilty, by the way, of, um, of, of what he did, uh, he had some a little bit of immunity, but he did spend some time in jail. But in all of that, of, of all of the characters from that scandal and that trial and all those hearings, I think he kind of came away as a hero. If, I, if, if memory serves correctly, and he's still a little bit in the, the Republican realms of, a, of a held up in the upper echelon of, of, of character people. Because if for no other reason, even though he was involved in the scandal and, and uh, was kind of a ringleader in parts of it, he was honest. If memory serves right. He told it like it was, and he said, I did this and I did that, and that's the way it was. One of the charges against Oliver North was that he had received a 16,000 home security system. That seems like a lot in 2017, but you think about that was 30 years ago. $16,000 was a whole lot money then, a whole lot more money then, right? Uh, he paid for out of the proceeds of the Iron Contra affair and had forged documents to cover his receipt of an illegal gratuity. And uh, Oliver North admitted that he knew the security system was a gift, but maintained he never inquired about who had paid for it or how it was financed, and he was insistent that he needed the security system because the government had failed to provide adequate protection against international terror terrorists for him and his family. Uh, he claimed that he had been threatened, and his life and his family had been threatened by the terrorist Abdul Nadal, uh, telling a congressional committee this, Abu, Abu Nadal is, as I'm sure you are aware, the principal foremost assassin in the world today. He is a brutal murderer. Our own State Department, and we have copies of these that we can make available for insertion in the record, but the State Department summary on Abu Nadal, not exactly an overstatement, notes that his followers who number an estimated 500, have killed as many as 181 persons and wounded more than 200 in just two years. This is Oliver North's testimony about Abu Nadal. Abu Nadal does not deny these things. We also have an exhibit that we can provide you that shows that he did this in the Christmas massacres. One of the people killed in the Christmas massacre, and I do not wish to over-dramatize this, but the Abu Dadal terrorists in Rome who blasted the 11-year-old American Natasha Simpson to her knees deliberately zeroed in and fired an extra burst at her head just in case. I want you to know I'd be more than willing to meet Abu Nadal on equal terms anywhere, anywhere in the world. There's even a deal for him. 
but I am not willing to have my wife and my children meet Abul Nadal or his organization on his terms. So just a little bit of testimony to uh, give credence of what Oliver North was concerned about, why he accepted a $16,000 home security system uh, for his personal house. He later claimed that an attempt on his life had been made five months before this testimony by the Libyan leader, Muammar Gaddafi. Remember Gaddafi? Uh, Gaddafi offered, uh, ordered his thugs to carry out a threat made against him in 1986. He goes on and says, Thankfully, the FBI intercepted the well-armed perpetrators on the way to our home, and my family and I were sequestered for a time on a military base. The orders from Tripoli were delivered to a terrorist cell in Virginia at the offices of the People's Committee for Libyan Students. Have you ever wondered about stories like this where people want someone dead? This was verified, by the way. The, the, the Libyan leader, Omar Gaddafi, wanted Oliver North dead. Uh, I have a friend that served in a church somewhere out in the hill country of Texas. I won't say where, but uh, things were not going so well in this church. And he and some of the staff members at this church would receive phone calls and they don't know who they were. They were anonymous. This was before the day of caller ID and everybody being able to see who's calling. And they were threats against them. You better get out of your house because it might just burn tonight. Things like that. When people ask me how things are going here, I say great. Knowing in the back of my mind, nobody has called me and said, you and your family better get out of their house tonight. <laughs> That's never happened. Have you ever lived with that idea that somebody might want you dead. In this little spot of scripture, we see a Christ follower, Lazarus, chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. We see a Christ follower that those who are anti-Jesus, I didn't want to say anti-Christ and confuse you, but they are anti-Jesus, they want this guy dead. And it leads me to the question to myself. Does anyone want me dead? Crazy question to think about. The application is good for us to consider. Let's read our scripture. And I want to give you three reasons why these guys wanted Lazarus dead. Chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for these that are here tonight to hear your scripture, to hear from you. Lord, to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. Lord, I am so thankful for Jonah being here too. I thank you for his sweet cries. And Lord, I thank you for his parents. And it's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Every single one of those are like an amen, so don't you think of bothering me, okay? I'm just so glad y'all are here. Well, why did they want him dead? There's three reasons I see. The testimony of Lazarus' life change was irrefutable. He had experienced a major life change. Remember the story of Lazarus? We talked about it just a couple of weeks ago. Lazarus was dead. 
indisputable. He was in the grave. And a lot of people would have known that he was in the grave because he was in the grave for so long, or not in the grave, he had been sick. Before he was in the grave, he had been sick for so long, they were able to find out where Jesus was, send someone to Jesus and tell him, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. You need to come and take a look at him, see if you can heal him, that sort of thing. Remember the, and Jesus said, now we're not going to go quite yet because this is going to glorify God. And he had been so sick, and then he died, and he had been dead for four days, covered in tomb rags, probably smelling like decaying flesh, yet Christ calls him out. And there's a big crowd there. There's mourners. There are the people that have probably been with the family since Lazarus was sick, and then unto death, and then there at the funeral itself. So there's quite a bit of people. Many, many witnesses to the sickness, the death, and the burial of Lazarus. And when Jesus finally arrives on the scene, there are many mourners present. They're weeping, they're wailing, they're paying homage to those that had been left behind. There were many present and hearing and witnessing the words of Jesus. He didn't have anything major to say. He just said, Lazarus, come forth. And I kind of wonder if perhaps they giggled when he said that. Lazarus, come forth. And they would have heard him say that. Lazarus, come forth. And they would have seen this body come out of the tomb. There would have been a multitude that heard the words of Jesus. There would have been a multitude that saw this dead man that they had all witnessed be sick be sick unto death, be prepared for burial, and then be buried, see him come out of the grave. And then there would have been several there that would have been ready to take those wrappings. That's what Jesus says. Loose him and let him go. In other words, take all of those grave clothings off of Lazarus. They would have seen him go from death to life. The life change of Lazarus was irrefutable. He was once dead, but was now alive. And we might be tempted to say, well, you know what? I could draw a crowd too, because in our scripture we read, what does it say? They're not just there to see Jesus. They want to see Lazarus because they know he had been raised from the dead. And we might be tempted to say, well, I could draw a crowd too if Jesus did some major miracle in my life. If he raised me from the dead, for instance, or he perhaps made something miraculous happen, parted the waters so we could go across, or something like that. And you know, you're right. If there was some major miracle that God worked in our lives, it probably would draw a crowd. If you or I had been six feet under in a casket locked in a vault and underneath the dirt, and suddenly we were sitting here in church, there would probably be a whole lot of people filling these pews, not to hear this guy preach or hear that guy sing, but to see the dead guy who had been raised from the grave. I mean, consider all the books that have been written by people who have presumably died and come back to life and how popular those books are, right? 60 Seconds in Heaven or something like that. Even though some of them have been found out to be a lie, they are still a pretty popular subject. People are drawn to this sort of thing. But people are also drawn to life change. People are also drawn to 
people's lives that have radically changed. I'm going to tell you, if you experience a radical change in your life, people are going to ask, how did you do it? What, what, what are you doing? How, how, did you, how did you leave that behind? People are drawn to real, lasting life change. And we all, through Christ, should experience life change. The Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses. That means that we were dead because of our sins, spiritually dead. But God, through Jesus Christ, has made us alive. He has brought us back from death and sin to life in Christ. The question we must all ask, is the change irrefutable? Can somebody look at my life and say, yeah, that guy was once dead in sin, but his life has been radically changed by Jesus Christ. Can people point at my life and say, man, I see a difference. Maybe they didn't know me when I was nine, but maybe they knew me a few years back and they say, yeah, that guy has been changed. What has caused this major life change? And that's what happened with Lazarus. Wow, this guy was dead. What happened? What happened? How strange would it have been if Lazarus had been seen walking around in his grave clothes? Seriously. Remember, Jesus said, loosen, let him go. Let him out of those grave clothes. What if Lazarus had said, no, 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 no. I want to keep these grave clothes on for a little bit. Weirder yet, what if Lazarus had said, Jesus, from way up in the, in the rocks, you know, wherever his grave may have been, thanks for raising me, but I'm just going to hang out here in my tomb for a little bit. Wouldn't that have been weird? Isn't it weird when Christians who have been brought back from the death of their sin keep hanging out in that sin? God wants to work a radical life change in our life. Why does he want to do that? Well, that's the second reason that Lazarus was on the death list. <laughs> because his life change that was irrefutable, he was dead, now he's alive, was a reflection back to God. Everyone knew that it was Jesus that had raised Lazarus from the grave. Everyone knew that it was Jesus that had raised Lazarus from the grave. They knew it because either they had witnessed it for themselves or someone who had witnessed it firsthand had told them. I mean, it was spread all over the place. In fact, if you remember the scene, things were so hot for Jesus that, uh, that immediately he left the region and went to Ephraim. And so everybody knew what had happened. But now this scene in John 12, you see Jesus reclining at the table. We talked about this uh, in last week's message. Jesus is right, reclining at the table, and right there beside him is Lazarus, with him, beside him. There is little doubt in my mind that Lazarus was constantly reflecting back to Jesus this life change because of this, because of what he had experienced. Lazarus, what was it like to be dead and brought back to life? I don't know what he said, but I can imagine he would just say, Jesus guy. I don't remember a lot. All I know is I heard his voice calling me out of death. 
calling me out of the grave. That's all I know. I, I don't know. I don't know. What, did G, what was it like for Lazarus to be dead for four days? Did he experience heaven? We don't really know. I also wonder, did Lazarus ever leave Jesus' side after that? I mean, the guy just brought you back to life. Wouldn't he demand, I mean, not that Jesus demanded it, but wouldn't it just be natural for you to give your life's attention and affection to this guy who just brought you back to the life, brought you back to life? If someone had just done something miraculous for me, I would never leave their side, but instead would feel compelled to serve them and to glorify them and reflect what they had done for me. If, if somebody... I've used this before. If somebody just bought me a car and left it in the, in the driveway and say, we want this for you. I'm not asking for my taxes. <laughs> so I hesitate in saying that. But if somebody, if somebody, imagine there's somebody doing that for you. Somebody bought you a car and left it in your driveway. There's nothing you could do to pay back that gift. But wouldn't you go on thanking them as much as you possibly could, as often as you possibly could? You would feel compelled, wouldn't you? Man, I don't know why you did that. It's because I love you. I don't know why you did that. Don't worry about it. I love you. I don't know why you did that. Well, I want you to talk about my kindness. Talk about my goodness if you want. You know, maybe that's what Jesus was his intention. Remember, he said this was going to happen to glorify God. But there is no doubt in my mind that Lazarus was reflecting back to Jesus this life change. Also, because of the last verse in what we read. Because it says, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Many believed in Jesus on account of him. Who's him? Lazarus. You see, if Lazarus was reflecting back on himself, if they said, Lazarus, you came back to life, and he said, I know, aren't I awesome? Nobody would have believed in Jesus. The fact that they're believing in Jesus means, Lazarus, you came back to life. He probably was saying, I know, isn't that guy awesome? Look what the Lord has done. There are many times in our life when we have a moment to shine, where we have a moment to collect the spotlight, if you will. The question is, is what will we do with that moment? Will we reflect that shine back on the one who has made us to shine, or will we just reflect on ourselves? Will we just reflect in that spotlight and, and soak it all up? You did so well. I know, thanks. You did so well. All glory goes to the Lord. If there's anything good in me, it's because of Him. You're alive, Lazarus. I am, and I've told my story in my new book, which you can purchase for $19.95. Hurry it up before it sells out. I'm going to have a book signing next week at Barnes & Noble. Or, you're alive, Lazarus. I am. All glory goes to God. Third reason these people wanted Him dead because people believed in Jesus because of it, because Lazarus was not intimidated. I mean, right? Right after he had been raised from the dead, we're told that they wanted to find Jesus and put him to death. It would stand to reason that Lazarus didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus, right? It tells me that Lazarus, though, was not intimidated by the religious leaders and that he would not remain silent. If people were believing 
it's because Lazarus was talking about it. And like I said, he was reflecting back to Jesus what, what Jesus had done, what the Lord had done. But everyone knew the religious leaders wanted him dead. It said, in fact, verse uh, 57 of chapter 11. Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it that they might seize him. Everyone knew that the Pharisees wanted Jesus and they wanted him dead. It was not a secret. It was not some sort of secret that was being covered up by the Pharisees. Everyone knew, and I assume Lazarus did too, he just wasn't intimidated by it. He's not going to keep me silent. I'm going to keep on talking about what Jesus did in my life. And it was all over that if anyone saw Jesus, they were supposed to report him, and yet here is Lazarus not only not reporting Jesus to the authorities, but instead reporting about all that Jesus had done for him. You're not going to intimidate me to keep me silent. In fact, I'm going to keep on talking about what Jesus has done for me. Nothing makes the enemy more mad than knowing we are not intimidated by their threats or that we cannot be persuaded into being quiet about Jesus. And when I'm talking about the enemy, I'm talking about the horned pitchfork, Satan, devil, that enemy. That's who I'm talking about. Uh, and this is exactly this point on Lazarus. Perhaps they had threatened him to be quiet. Perhaps they had bribed him to be quiet. But still, he must have continued to reflect and speak on what Jesus had done for him. I once was dead, but now I am alive. But then, what could they really threat? If you don't stop talking about this, Jesus, we're going to kill you. Yeah, and he'll just bring me back to life, right? <laughs> Not really much of a threat. Have you ever thought about that way of, of keeping quiet in your testimony in Christ Jesus? What is the worst anyone can do for you or get, do to you? Kill you? If that's the worst they can do, let it come. Because we've already been given everlasting life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does Paul say? To live is Christ, but to die is gain. Now, I know my human flesh doesn't like that thought. My human flesh says, I don't really want to die, but I think I'll trust in the Word of God that says, you know what, really dying would be a gain. Why? Man, I'll be in the presence of Jesus Christ, and I'll be done with this world. And so, thank you, son. And so not being intimidated led to the enemy wanting Lazarus dead. So there's that question again. Does anyone want us dead? It's a weird question. But the underlying question is this. Are we so vocal about our witness of Jesus Christ, of what he has done for us, that the enemy... And if we lived in a place where it was illegal to be Christian, we could really materialize this. But here, the enemy is the evil one, which is the enemy in the other places as well. But he just doesn't have the manpower yet here because it's still legal to be a Christian. Are we so vocal that the enemy wants us dead? I've got a few uh, stories I want to read for you from a book called Jesus Freaks. It's a book about some stories about martyrs. They're short, and I'm done a little bit early. Yeah. This one is called A Song for the Lord. 
about a guy named John Denley. He was in England. This was in the year 1555. It says, one day on the way to visit some friends, John Denley was stopped and searched by the authorities who found his written confession of faith. Denley believed the church was built upon the apostles and prophets with Christ as its head. That's very biblical. And that the present state church, the Church of England, was not part of this true church. In his time, many of its teachings were not according to the Bible. For this, he was turned over to a local government official who turned him over to the bishop of the church for questioning. Denley would not back down from his statement of faith, so he was condemned to die and turned over to the sheriff. Within six weeks, he was sent to the stake to be burned. And when they let, lit the wood beneath him, Denley showed no fear. He cheerfully sang a psalm as the flames rose around him. One of his tormentors picked up a piece of wood and threw it at him, hitting him in the face. Perhaps he wanted to anger Denley. Maybe he wanted to shut Denley up. But Denley simply responded, You have truly ruined a good gospel song. And he started to sing again as the flames grew hotter. Another story called The Gospel Flames. It's about a story that happened in China uh, during the 1960s. Ten brothers and sisters in Christ were imprisoned, beaten and bound. They had preached with tears streaming down, causing the passerbyers and street sellers, Christians and non-Christians, to stand still and listen. Even the fortune tellers were moved by the Holy Spirit and burst out crying. Many people hearing the word forgot to eat, work, or even return home. The brothers and sisters preached until they were exhausted, but the crowd would not let them leave. The authorities, however, came and dragged the Christians away one by one, binding them with ropes and beating them with electric shock poles, knocking them unconscious. When they revived, they continued to pray, sing, and preach to the bystanders. When they were bound and beaten, many people noticed a strange expression on their faces, and the crowd saw to their amazement what they, that they were smiling. Their spirit and appearance were so lively and gracious that many were led to believe in Jesus by their example. When the brothers and sisters in that area saw them bound and forced to kneel on the ground for more than three days without food or water, beaten with sticks, until their faces were covered with blood, their hands made black by the ropes, but they were still praying, singing, and praising the Lord, then they too wished to share in the persecution. In this area recently, the flame of the gospel has spread everywhere. One last story. This is called, It is Not Difficult to Be a Christian. The setting is in 1996. Not too long ago, it is set in Indonesia. My name is Petrus Christian. I am the oldest son of Pastor Ishak Christian, who was burned to death a few months ago. It happened on October 10th, 1996 at 11.30 a.m. About 20 people came and surrounded the church. My father, the pastor, tried calming those angry people, but they did not move away from the church. My father went into the house and prayed with six other people, including the rest of my family. Thirty minutes later, about 200 people came on foot, bringing many kinds of tools. 
they started smashing the church building in Parsonage. Six of the people in the house, including my father, ran and hid in a room at the back of the house. The other person hid upstairs where he was safe. Some of those angry people saw them and told them, get out of the room. Since they did not leave, the people started burning the building. One of those seven people, a church worker, ran through the fire and escaped. My father, my mother, my sister, my cousin, and another church worker were trapped in the house and they burned to death. During the fire, the local police did not take any action, probably because they were afraid of the mob. I hurried to the church at 1.30 p.m., but by that time, they were all gone. The army, whose military base was four kilometers from town, were at military training elsewhere, were not available. When they arrived at 5 p.m. to guard the area, everything was in ashes. The night before the funeral, a local government official apologized. He advised me not to take revenge. He also said that the incident might be my own family's fate. This is Muslim teaching, the will of Allah. At first, I was really disappointed because I lost all my beloved people. But this made me realize that material things around me are not eternal or worth loving. After the fire, our congregation has become stronger in faith. Because we have Jesus, it is not difficult to be a Christian, although there are many oppressions. Does anybody want you dead? Because of your testimony of how Christ has radically changed your life. Leave you with that question tonight, and as we close with a song of invitation, a song of response, pray that you uh, ask the Lord that. God, would you make a radical change in me? Give me an opportunity to talk about that change. Talk about what you've done in my life. Even if it's just the simple, I was once dead in sin, but he has made me alive in Christ. That's a wonderful testimony to share, and to share it with as many that will listen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the courageous faith of those that have gone before us, of those that live in places where it's illegal to be a Christian. Lord, for the courageous faith of Lazarus, who said, I will not be silent because of the threats of religious leaders, but instead I will tell what I know and tell what I've experienced, and I will reflect back on God the radical life change that he has made in me. Father, I pray that you would work a great work in all of us this evening, and that we would go out of this place sharing our testimonies in you. It is in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Would you